0: Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way.
1: First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch.
0: You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow.
1: I like the laptop bags myself.
0: Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts.
1: Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime.
0: Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex.
1: That's it. That's our intro.
0: Now, time for the show.
1: And we are recording for Contrarians Corner for The Guard.
0: Hello, welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my friend and cohort, my co-pilot down the, I always say path, but it's really just a never-ending road. It's a... It's a multiverse, if you will. The, the multiverse <laughs> of the contrary, Julio Oliveira. Julio, how are you doing on this Monday evening?
1: Um, a little sad that I have to go back to work tomorrow, but if I have to if I have to finish this holiday by talking to you about this movie, well, there are worse ways of, uh, of ending it.
0: Yeah, we're here today to discuss The Guard. This is a patron demand. Julio, who's bringing this across our desk?
1: Katie and Ot beloved patrons Katie and OT who have given us before such movies as whiplash and daddy daycare uh, <laughs> wildly opposite yeah I was the- about to say
0: just the a buckshot approach here gotta respect it
1: yeah I wonder if they're alternating you know whiplash was fresh daddy daycare was rotten this one is fresh again who knows what they'll bring next time
0: is there a reasoning given as to why we're watching this or why we watch mm-hmm. this?
1: No, no. They've they've been pretty pretty quiet about any sort of uh rationale behind this. I'm assuming they like it, but who knows? Maybe I because actually I remember they didn't like Whiplash. And so they submitted it because mm-hmm. they wanted to enjoy us taking it down, uh, during Trainers Corner. So maybe they also don't like the guard. They have they have problems with Don Cheadle trying to be funny.
0: You need Don Cheadle serious, that's all all they want is they need um it was that movie that came out like 2008 with him that was just more serious than a fucking heart attack? Hotel he Rwanda? Like, no, well, that one too. Um, <laughs> it was some movie where he was the star of it that was like an um, espionage government thriller type thing. Um, I don't know. It'll probably come to me at some point during this and I'll shout it out. Uh, I'll tell you who liked The Guard, The Gad, is at. <laughs> My I try to do like an Irish accent, but it just comes across as fucking Boston, some fat guy from Boston. Yes. <laughs> it's the gad. Yeah, I can't do it. Uh, I'll tell you who liked it, though. Out of the 139 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, this baby sits at 94% certified fresh. So the critics ate it up back in 2011. The unlikely pairing of Don Cheadle and Brendan Gleeson was enough to... Get the critics out. This I didn't realize that Brendan Gleeson actually got nominated for a Golden Globe for this movie.
1: Well, I mean, Oscars are nothing. <laughs> That's nice on the day of the nominations for the Golden Globes. But honestly, the fact that you don't remember, <laughs> that should say it all.
0: It's not that I don't remember, Julio. It's that I didn't know. There's a big difference. <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs> uh,
0: he was up against... Joseph Gordon-Levitt for Fifty Fifty, Ryan Gosling for Crazy Stupid Love, so this thing has already lost all credibility. Uh, <laughs> Owen Wilson for Midnight in Paris, and of course the eventual winner, Julio. It was twenty twelve. Uh, do you remember who dominated the? Uh,
1: Man, you always do this to me. I feel like I should, <laughs> I should study nominations and winners before the recording.
0: It would not surprise me, or it doesn't surprise me, that you don't remember because Homeboy has done nothing since, and that would be.
1: Oh, I know! I know! I know! I know! Uh, it's the artist, Sean uh, Correct.
0: Yeah. During this whole award season, that or excuse me, that whole award season, the coolest thing he did was make a random cameo on SNL as his character from the Artist. So he didn't have any lines, and uh, the reception was tepid to say the least. It was like three people, like,
1: woo! Who is this guy?
0: Yeah, who's this handsome dude who's dancing out here?" So Brendan Gleason. And uh, Don Cheadle, as we mentioned, Helm the Guard, as I mentioned, a 2011 release, premiered on January 20th at the Sundance Film Festival of 2011, and that was released on July 7th of 2011 in Ireland. Um, looks like its release was fairly limited here. It was released wide in Ireland and the United Kingdom, which, of course, makes sense. Uh, but an interesting movie in it is a movie from the mid 2000s that features, you know, British crime. So you can bet your fucking ass that Mark Strong is in there as one of the hired <laughs> guns.
1: Uh, were you disappointed, Alex, that Don Cheadle is not playing an Irishman?
0: No. No. I <laughs> I would have felt so bad for Don Cheadle if they're like, all right, we need you to be Brad Pitt and Snatch. <laughs>
1: you're you're selling Cheetos short i would
0: love to if the original script that john michael uh, mcdonough wrote uh had it written that way and don Cheetle showed up he's like i'm not gonna do that <laughs> no i know don cheeto's hilarious um he's very funny in the oceans movies and i i know that he is a really talented actor but i just didn't and he that.
1: puts on an accent isn't he british in the oceans movies
0: uh maybe it's uh, it's been 15 years since i've seen any of those so (laughs) you tell me brother
1: i I think so and i think that from a british accent to an irish accent i mean that's not that much of a stretch see is that
0: accurate i just guessed that yeah the oceans 13 came out the last one was in 2007 so literal 15 years whatever the case john michael mcdonough Writer and director, also in his filmography, The Second Death from 2000, Ned Kelly from 2003, and since The Guard, Cavalry, War on Everyone, and The Forgiven. He uh, has his actors that he likes working with. This wouldn't be the last time he worked with Brandon Gleason uh, and some of the others uh, throughout this, uh, featured in this movie.
1: No more Cheadle, though.
0: No, you know, Don Cheadle. It's like I always say, the rattlesnake venom thing. You just need it once in your filmography and then you're set. <laughs>
1: then you gotta share.
0: Mm-hmm. You gotta
1: share the wealth with other filmmakers, uh
0: Yeah, you can't bogard Don Cheadle. <laughs> He's not like, you know, the roster that Rob Zombie keeps on lock that makes he makes him sign NDAs and they can't do anything else with their time. And uh, you gotta you gotta have Cheadle. You gotta share him with the world. All right, so Julio going into the uh, European style of uh, action and comedy for this one, and before we jump into it, want to go ahead and thank KT and OT, our patrons who again demanded this, and we bring it to you because that's what we do for our patrons. Uh, if you're a returning listener, thank you. If you're a first time listener, great. Uh, to our returning listeners and our patrons, give us just a moment here while we explain what it is we do to any and all potential first timers out there. Here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Uh, That's our battle cry. We'll find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated. Uh, A lot of times known as Certified Fresh with that oh-so-fancy little Rotten Tomatoes logo attached to it, the Certified Fresh sticker that you can find on where you can still buy DVDs and shit these days. I think even movie posters now are starting to incorporate them, but what we do with those fresh movies and those Certified Fresh joints is... uh, We'll make a case for maybe why it's a bit overrated, maybe why the critics got this wrong, some of the things they overlooked or overhyped. We'll find ways to break these films down. Conversely, in alternating episodes, we'll find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is lowly rated, usually shoot about 30% and below. And what we'll do for that is, just as you would imagine, we'll find the positive merit in that film. Uh, good acting, good writing, um, You know, maybe some really cool themes or ideas that critics just were unjustly cruel about. Uh, we'll, we'll find a way to build those movies up and make them presentable, uh, all in an effort to show, you know, the shit is subjective. You can be as over the moon or as cynical about something as you want to be if you really set your mind to it. And more often than not, what we discover is just showing that the Rotten Tomatoes ideology and system is kind of flawed because it doesn't always tell the whole story. Uh, but Julio, that all goes into the first half of our show here, uh, what we call Contrarian's Corner. If listeners want to know how we really feel about the movies we're discussing, they just have to hang around till the second half.
1: That's correct. The second half of the show, aptly titled Real Talk, is where we tell you how we really feel about the movie. In this case, neither Alex or I had seen The Guard before. We've never talked about it previous to this recording, and we certainly don't know where each other stands. I I don't know. Maybe Alex hates it. We know that I wanted Don Cheadle to be Irish, but that's that's as far as our knowledge goes. So once we get the real talk, we are each going to find out how the other one feels, along with the audience, because
0: you guys don't know either. That's not exclusive to the guard. I mean, Julio just always wants Don Cheadle to be
1: Irish. I just don't want him to get too comfortable. You <laughs> know, he's... <laughs> now that he has that war machine money, I, I don't want him to stop trying to, to just become a better actor.
0: What was the last uh, Avengers movie? Or I don't know. What was the last Marvel movie he was in?
1: Um, so his last movie was Endgame, but he also had a cameo on the first episode of uh, the Falcon and Winter Soldier, and he got nominated for a, an Emmy or a Golden Globe, I think, for it. <laughs> just ridiculous.
0: Beautiful. All sounds remarkably on brand. Uh, Julio, ninety four percent, and you know, based on just. Uh, surface level looking at this shit when it was presented to us and you sent it to me i immediately looked it up on rotten tomatoes and then did a little bit more diving into it reading some of the letterbox reviews for it and it seems to be a pretty highly regarded movie uh an appreciated action comedy so i'm curious which reviews you were able to wrangle up for
1: this okay so i got a got a few fresh tomatoes from the Run Tomatoes website. I'm gonna start with Liam Lacey from Globe and Mail, who says, Although The Guard is primarily a language romp, it's also a terrific showcase for veteran pug face character actor Brendan Gleason.
0: Pug face.
1: <laughs> pug face. <laughs> Show some goddamn respect, Liam Lacey. Next, James Crute from stuff.co.nz says The Guard offers just over 90 minutes of excellent escapism and guaranteed hilarity that is still worth seeking out even a decade after its original release. So that's a pretty recent. Yeah,
0: that's uh, a contemporary
1: edition. It holds up a decade after. Um, And then Joseph Walsh from Cineview says a superbly crafted comedy that gives a hilarious angle on Irish culture. In particular, it stays for inappropriate humor.
0: Yeah, it's definitely heavy with that.
1: Well, do you think maybe it goes a little over? <laughs> We've done another Irish movie uh, on this show. It's It's been a while, but uh, way back on episode 51, we actually had our friend Eddie Strait over, uh, and we did Sing Street. And one of the things that we discussed was that <laughs> Sing Street, with all its sweetness and its music and just the, the whimsicality of it all... Mm-hmm. Uh, It almost didn't feel like an Irish movie, (laughs) you know, like it wasn't Irish enough. It wasn't hardcore enough. And now, almost 100 episodes later, we are doing a movie that is extremely Irish, I would say almost to the point of being offensive. Uh, How do you think that (laughs) Irish people feel? (laughs) (laughs) Well, how do you think that Irish people feel about this movie, like how this movie presents Ireland? Ireland.
0: Uh, I'm not going to speak for a country I don't live in, but I would, ima- based on my understanding of their culture, uh, I don't think they would view this as being misleading or too far off.
1: They're like, "Fuck yeah!" Our cops are corrupt.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was more concerned with like the inherent racism that comes along, but yeah, that too. <laughs> so the lead in this, as we mentioned, Brennan Gleason plays Sergeant Jerry Boyle, who's a uh, very jaded and. Um, I think inappropriate is a good word to describe him. Jaded and to the point of it becomes evident that he takes his job seriously um when necessary and he can be good at it. He's like Michael Scott kind of but with a bit more self-awareness in the sense of he's good at his job when duty calls but he he's kind of over it and doesn't really take it seriously most of the time.
1: Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't care. He breaks the rules. We see him stealing somebody's money right like there's a car accident that he just uh
0: he just comes up to the scene and he takes takes the drugs off them and he ends up doing like a hit of acid uh that he finds on them he uh is a crass and confrontational and regularly indulging in drugs and alcohol even while on duty he's also shown to have a softer side showing concern for his ailing mother eileen but I, i would say the first 15 minutes of this movie exists to establish him as kind of someone who's just over it and in it for a paycheck now because uh, he doesn't feel challenged i think is the thing and that what we find out throughout this movie is once that challenge rolls in he he can still go he can still put on his boots his working boots and solve cases but He's still
1: corrupt <laughs> you know what i mean like he's not he,
0: corrupt he in the sense of like he's not taking bribes and shit like that but he's just he doesn't live a law-abiding life that's for sure because he's also very much into prostitutes which i don't I guess I don't know if that's legal in Ireland, but um, I don't know. It feels like this opening set here, and then the things he does throughout it, it just goes too far out of its way to repeatedly show us that he's not a good cop. Uh, yet the movie wants us to cheer for him, so it gets a bit confusing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, the, at the beginning, because uh, there's a there's a crime scene, and doesn't he ask the the new cop? He's like, "Hey, have you already like looked around for?" Basically, have you already looked around for things that we can take Mm -hmm. (laughs) the crime scene? Come on. I I, I guess, you know, I I, I don't know if there was ever a time to glorify corrupt cops, but now it's certainly not it. And it was just like, man, watching this opening, all I could do was hope that Don Cheadle was one, going to be Irish, and two, going to be at least the voice of reason, which he kind of turned out to be. So, one out of two. (laughs) betting 50-50 there, Mr. McDonough. Now, do you know Brendan Gleeson from anything?
0: Yeah, I was trying to... I didn't look up his filmography before I watched this, but I've seen this guy plenty of times before. Uh, all right, so Braveheart immediately. Mission Impossible 2.
1: Don't remember him.
0: <laughs> oh, he's in The Village, which we just recently discussed. That's right, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, that
0: would be why he was still present on my mind.
1: Yeah, I imagine to the world at large and this doesn't include you. You're not part of the world at large, but yeah. <laughs> most people would know him as uh one of the teachers in the Harry Potter movies. Okay. He is uh he's Mad-Eye Moody, the Defense Against the Dark Arts professor, I think. Maybe. I don't know. He's he shows up in the fourth movie and then, you know, the the subsequent ones, but I think of him and I see Mad-Eye Moody. I'm not even a Harry Potter fan and I still think Mad-Eye Moody because you know, he has this weird monocle in the Harry Potter-verse, and he's just... You know, he's a wizard. He's all eccentric. And uh, so now, uh, seeing him as a cop, I I just... It's tough, man. Once you get cast in one of those big franchises, uh, not everybody's Cheadle. You know, Cheadle, is like, he's War Machine, but he can just be something else. But Gleason, he's good. But in the end, I I still saw Mad-Eye Moody here. It's like, oh, it's Mad-Eye Moody pretending to be a, a policeman. So
0: yeah, he's the general in Edge of Tomorrow. That would be probably the thing I know him from
1: the most. Just my advice, if you want to continue to admire uh Brendan Gleeson's craft is just avoid the Harry Potter movies <laughs> because <laughs> once you see him as a as a wizard teacher, then that's it. You're not going to see him as anything else.
0: There's no going back.
1: Nope. That's gotcha. that's the magic in quotation marks of Harry Potter. Typecasting actors. Throughout eight years, eight movies.
0: Boyle's got a pretty cool bedroom. That was one of my first notes. Was like, okay, is green going to be a significant color in this movie? And it definitely is. It's not like beating you over the head with it to per se. Uh, but it seems like there's any moment of uh, transition and plot or something significant. There's a heavy reliance on the color green. I don't know if you noticed that, Julio.
1: I did not. <laughs> Well, there you go. I was still thinking of Mad Eyed Moody.
0: So, new to the force uh, is his subordinate, McBride. And this is kind of an extension of what we were just talking about and establishing who he is as a police officer. They're investigating a killing, um, the five and a half killer. And it's a lot of, you know, police work, but mixed in with very, you know, I don't even want to say Tarantino dialogue because he doesn't really do the european style so i don't know would guy Ritchie be more acceptable
1: guy Ritchie minus the sense of humor it's like it's trying but not quite there there's an obama joke pretty early on did you did you catch that
0: i did uh i'm gonna be honest the way i watched this subtitles weren't provided and so there was some times where the accent was pretty thick and i was having a hard time breaking up what was being said no offense to all of our (laughs) european (laughs) listeners
1: no offense to the Irish. Look, if this movie didn't offend them, I don't think that us not being able to to tell every word with dialogue without subtitles, I don't think that that's gonna make a difference. Uh, but no, there's a, there's an Obama joke which felt it just dates the movie. I think that any Obama reference that is not made in the post-Trump era mm-hmm. instantly dates a movie. Dates anything, you know, as in like, oh, those were like the olden times. <laughs> before before America hit rock bottom <laughs> this, yeah uh, so it just kind of feels like I almost wanted to say too soon when that happened and then I was like no it actually this <laughs> happened before they had no idea uh but then as soon as I start giving uh McDonough the the benefit of the doubt, I want to say like 10 minutes later maybe even sooner uh there's a Roman Polanski joke <laughs> just
0: oh I didn't catch that
1: yeah and then I'm like okay now he's out for blood he doesn't care. <laughs> He just wants to get a reaction. Now that, I can tell you, too soon. <laughs> like, a hundred years from now, it's still going to be too soon. No. But then, you know, I guess that's that's kind of like the, the thing here, that the McDonough, the writer-director, he's more concerned with pushing buttons instead of being funny. And I think that that's why I it doesn't work on a comedic level, doesn't work as well as a, a Guy Ritchie movie. A like Guy Ritchie will have his characters talk about pop culture, but it's never... He never seems to be trying to offend anybody, whereas, like, this guy, he seems to be trying to get a rise out of people.
0: Yeah, it's definitely um, – shock value is too intense and dramatic of a word to use, but it's definitely um, – it's not shock value. It's more of just, like, you know, you uh, – it's the – that's the chainsaw. It's it's intended for you to <laughs> nudge your friend and go, ooh, he went there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, As we mentioned, the character of Boyle, um, one of the bylines of the movie is him taking care of his mother, who's uh, unfortunately on the brink of death. I think they have three or four scenes throughout it where it's just really dialogue heavy stuff of them just you know kind of talking to one another uh, until she eventually passes. I know I'm kind of jumping ahead here to the end of the movie, but I figured we could just go ahead and tackle this here. I felt like uh, overall all this did was, again, just a trope to try to make us relate more or have more of like um, view Boyle more as a hero despite some of the things we were seeing elsewhere and hearing uh, the things he was saying and doing. In the end, I just kind of found all these scenes with his mom to be kind of boring and just a distraction from what was at large. I don't know how you felt about him.
1: Well, yeah, they're they're pretty manipulative. I think that's the problem that I... You and I, and I imagine most people watching the movie, they were aware that... It, like, it's a very transparent attempt at, like you said, at humanizing him and just, you know, hey, can you really blame the guy? His mom is sick. His mom is dying. You know, just give him a break. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, that's just commit, you know, if you want your protagonist to be a son of a bitch, then just make him a son of a bitch. Don't give him a mom that's dying, because then that's cheating. That's just, you're stacking the deck. You know, th- this movie would be more interesting if he was just just a guy that doesn't have a sympathetic side. And yet, in spite of all that, he manages to be the hero and save the day. But but no, the the, the movie constantly gives him an out, and it's just, the, the mom is like the biggest thing, but then also, you know, it turns out that he actually... Uh, He's not racist. He just likes fucking with people <laughs> it, it, and so on. So, yeah, it it just felt, uh, I, I just feel manipulated. That was the main thing. Even even more so than it being boring, it was just kind of a, a little insulting.
0: So Boyle attends a briefing by an FBI agent from America, Wendell Everett. Uh, my note here says, enter Don Cheadle. And then, <laughs> comma, immediate racism.
1: Relentless.
0: He's sent to work with Garda, which is basically the division of law enforcement that boils in. Uh, They're looking to take down a group of uh, drug traffickers in Ireland, and the leader is Francis Sheehy Skeffington, and the whole point of this movie is he's waiting for this huge delivery that's going to come in. That's like the climax of the movie, kind of jumping ahead, Uh, but... Don Cheadle has come over from America to put a stop to this big drug ring that's going on, this trafficking that's going on through Ireland. Uh, and the first thing Boyle asks him, cause he sees the pictures of the the suspects here, the people that they're trying to apprehend. He says, I thought drug dealers were black or Mexican. And it's very, very uncomfortable. And it's eventually <laughs> explained that he's just, you know, messing with them or taking the piss as they like to say. Uh, but, it makes for a few awkward moments of film.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you say something that is racially insensitive, saying "just kidding" after doesn't mean that it's not racially insensitive. <laughs> it's still bad. <laughs> and this movie does it over and over again. It's it's a running, uh, I don't how to say a running joke, but it's just like running theme throughout the entire movie. It's just him constantly saying something very inappropriate in front of uh, uh, Don Cheadle, sometimes directly at Don Cheadle and then just laughing and going like ah i got gotcha. you i'm not really racist i just say racist things
0: he says right here and i quote i'm irish it's part of my culture
1: yes <laughs> again how does an irish man feel about that listeners let us know uh
0: boyle calls out you know after all this though and you know they get back on course get their focus back he recognizes one of the men in the presentation was the guy like, he hey saw that's
1: it. mark strong
0: <laughs> Yeah, he, he, he knows that he was the victim of the murder that he had been investigating with his new partner. And so he takes him and um, shows him the d- dead body in the uh, the morgue. Uh, he says, you know, we'll put it this way. I hope he's dead because he was taken down in the morgue earlier today. Um, Mark Strong enters the fold here. Big, brooding, intimidating presence that he brings. Uh, McBride, the, you know. New on the force, just a bit too overzealous, a bit too excited to be there. He's the guy that if it was a non-movie, you know, he was going out first. And um, (laughs) he pulls his car over. Mark Strong is the hired gun here for Sheehy and um, uh, his other henchmen that he has. Uh, Basically, without any real provocation, he just was messing with the wrong people. These guys shoot uh, Mark Strong specifically shoots down. uh, No, no, no. It's not Mark Strong. It's the other guy, right?
1: Yeah, because uh, the other guy is allegedly the the, the psychopath or sociopath. <laughs> it's one of the two. Uh, so there's the leader who is played by uh, Liam Cunningham. Which, yes. Yeah, this doesn't mean anything to you, Alex, but he's a, he's a big character in Game of Thrones. Okay. I didn't recognize him until the very end when they're doing the cutesy end credits. And he just says, Liam Cunningham. I was like, oh, my God, it's Ser Davos playing an asshole. Uh, so he's a leader. Mark Strong is kind of like the... The silent type that he thinks he's too good for all this the other and guy's the other liam
0: guy. yeah uh david wilmot and he's the yeah. guy that yeah he shoots uh mcbride here and just guns him down it's pretty sad it's like man that guy so far he was the only character that really seemed overall like pure and now he's dead
1: yeah he, he was the only cop that uh that actually cared to uphold the law <laughs>
0: His wife eventually comes to uh, Boyle and is like, hey, my husband's missing, and he promises that he's going to help her figure out what's going on.
1: My notes is Irish Mira Sorvino, and then like a minute later, she explains that she's not Irish. She's from uh, <laughs> Croatia. <laughs> so, Croatia Mira Sorvino.
0: Yeah, my note says, oh, man, they killed the rookie. Um, <laughs> we get some getting to know you action between uh, Brennan Gleeson and Don Cheadle. Just kind of you know where they're from, uh, talking about geography, we get a story about how Brendan Gleason went to Disney World by himself, which that is a terrifying idea of just seeing him <laughs> waiting in line alone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that's a, that's a thing that I I don't know. I, I think that it's more prevalent in America. the just this aversion towards anybody doing anything on their own. And I thought that this movie was going to really lean into that, and, and you know, because the whole point uh, of the movie is to contrast once once you team them up, is the contrast between how how Irish Brendan Gleeson is and how American Don Cheadle is. Uh, but the movie doesn't really do much with it. But and this is one of those moments where I felt it, the cultural divide, right? Because Cheadle looks horrified when he hears that that Brendan Gleeson went to Disneyland on his own just the previous year. <laughs> He wasn't a kid; he was just an adult, an adult riding Space Mountain over and over. And I was well, like, it's that's not the so-
0: idea of going alone. It's just Brandon Gleason standing in line for like the Snow White cart ride would be not. <laughs> <laughs> if I had kids, I'd be like, "Hey, get behind me!"
1: Well, <laughs> but, but but that's the thing, right? That, I mean, uh, the the picture if if Don Cheadle is a representative of America in this movie, and he is because there's nobody else, then he comes across as really judgmental. And the movie never really gives him a reason, like a a way to kind of expand on what he thinks, right? So it comes across as like, oh, there's something wrong with an adult doing things on his own. You know, it's like, if you're an adult and you don't have have kids, well, forget about it. You're not allowed in Disneyland. That's just how it is, which okay, well, if we're gonna, if you're gonna paint Americans as that intolerant, that's cool, but then really do something with it. It, it. But the movie quickly backs off from that kind of stuff, from that kind of conflict, and goes for, you know, easier stuff. Like, uh, you were talking about the trope of, uh, you know, the rookie that's, that has, a uh, his wife back home, and of course is the first one to, to get killed, and, like, Cheadle starts talking about his wife and kids, and, uh, telling Gleason about it and he wants to show him a photo and that's when I thought they were gonna kill him off I'm like oh man this is Cheeto's not gonna make it out of this movie alive because you know he started sharing about his girl back home
0: oh yeah that's cla- yeah that's a classic war movie thing if you, you start telling that shit or you know when he I guess what saved him was he wasn't able to take out the picture of his kids if we had seen the picture <laughs> of his kids then that would have been all she wrote
1: yeah with that uh, that lack of awareness like if you were an fbi agent if you were a cop whatever would you ever show a picture of your wife and kids to anyone having uh, seen all the movies you've seen
0: oh no absolutely not <laughs> i thought you're talking about like in this uh the universe of films but no yeah seeing what i've seen it's like the scream thing you never say i'll be right back because you won't be right back so uh <laughs> don gittle just barely escaped with his life here um in kind of a montage sequence of Don Cheadle, you know, getting to know the area that he's in, we, we get a shot of Boyle swimming out in the ocean. And he <laughs> states that he was fourth in the 1988 Olympics in Seoul in the 1500 freestyle swimming. This is just kind of getting ahead to some trivia here. But in the end of the movie, Everett says that's not true. that it's not true. And the photographer uh, kid replies, it's easy to look up. In the 1988 Olympics, the fourth place in this event was won by an American named Matt Ketlinski. The other contestants mentioned were real. Two Germans won the second and third place, uh, Stefan Pfeiffer and Uwe Dassalier, respectively. And the first place was won by Soviet Vladimir Salnikov. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just always think it's funny when there's some like wild accusation made by a character in a movie like this where... Brendan Gleeson alleges that he was an Olympic athlete. And he does have that line though about like I came in fourth, so it doesn't even matter that I was there to begin with.
1: <laughs> I really thought that the end of that trivia was going to be that Brendan Gleeson was the like the actor Brendan Gleeson <laughs> had come in fourth.
0: Just like him, you know, bald with the cap on, svelte. Just not, you know, chiseled cuz swimmers are usually just really fit, toned athletes. But Brendan Gleason there on the Olympic podium or right below it since he came in fourth place. But um, Don Cheadle, Everett is anxious to get working on the case and he basically prepares everything that he's going to be working on and goes to Boyle and Boyle just explains, well, it's my day off, which I respected this part of the movie so much <laughs> because there's, I've gotten to a certain point in my life where working hard isn't going to fix anything or working harder or, you know, not taking that day off is going to fix anything. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I respect the idea of like, yeah, I understand my work's going to be here when I get back, but today's my day off. So I'm taking my day off differently. Uh, I, I don't spend my day off going and finding two prostitutes and spending a <laughs> day with them. In a-
1: <laughs> but if you wanted to, you could, yeah, 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 the options there. I mean, it's your day off. Um, no, I think the difference is that in this particular case, like Gleason says, it's not going to make a difference. And it would have made a difference because it's a, you know, th- there's a deadline. They're, they're against a ticking clock here. And without Gleason to escort him, Don Cheeto can't do anything. Like he can't really communicate with the people in the area that he's supposed to be investigating. So Gleason taking a day off, as honorable, as self-righteous as it was, it, it really put a damper on the on the investigation.
0: It did, but sadly, uh, and things happen for a reason type mentality, his drive back from his visit with the prostitutes, he came across McBride's cop car uh, and this, you know, just kind of adds a whole new wrinkle to what's going on here. You know, they think they have the answers, but it really just ends up to creating more questions because the car is founded at what they call a suicide hotspot uh, that's on the coast and where police officers have gone to kill themselves, uh, but they don't. But he does not believe that McBride killed himself, right? And the wife doesn't think that could be possible.
1: Yeah, he actually tells the wife he w- that uh, her husband was not smart enough to commit suicide.
0: <laughs> and this is where we learn that uh, he was gay uh, and that they got married. It was like a green card type situation, right?
1: Right. Which I, I felt that the movie was opening the door for, for a relationship to develop between Gleason and, and the wife. Mm-hmm. You know, like, very easily removing the idea of, oh, man, he can't hook up with his his dead colleague's wife. But now it's like, oh, well, they were never really an actual couple. It was just a, it was all pretend. But then it's, I guess, McDonough wrote that on the first draft, and then on, on the following drafts, he kind of forgot about the plot line Because it doesn't really go anywhere.
0: I'm curious if the Everett character developed like a slight drinking problem just hanging around Boyle throughout this because it just seems like every time they're together, he's just making him drink more and more. <laughs> um, but it le- ends up you know, working out in their favor because they get the idea at this bar they're at to pull the surveillance footage, and they find the suspect they had in the murder case. They find the footage that he was there and his alibi is legitimate. Uh, but they also use that because they see the... Shahee and uh Mark, Mark Strong, Strong there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Everybody always recognizes Mark Strong. <laughs> it just you're watching regular uh security footage and you go, Oh shit, it's Mark Strong. It must be a Guy Ritchie movie. <laughs> he was in kick ass. <laughs> so but but speaking of Mark Strong though, do you feel like yeah, we know who he is, and I guess he is like we know his name. But the average person probably goes like, "Oh, it's that guy," you mm-hmm. know. They don't know that that's Mark Strong. But he, by now, it almost feels like he should be a bigger name. And, oh yeah. But he isn't. I wonder if it's because he just he has been a little too generous with the with the roles he takes, and so he's it's no longer special to see Mark Strong in a movie because he he just shows up. He's like Christopher Walken. You know, it's like, oh, well, there he is again doing his Mark Strong thing. Like, Walken is a great actor, but usually movies get him and they require him to just do the Christopher Walken stick And same thing with, with Mark Strong. I feel like now they know what he can do, so now mm-hmm. they, they get him to do that and nothing else. And so he's just kind of limited, even though he's a talented guy. He's limited. And here, you know, it's just he's doing Guy Ritchie light. Uh, he has three or four scenes where he's just... He has this sort of smart-ass dialogue. You know, at one point, he's talking about philosophers. And then at some other point, he's he gets into an argument with the cops. Because, uh, you know, they're paying off the cops. We find out that they they have all the cops in their pocket. Oh, yeah. and, with, and Mark Strong is collecting... No, he's delivering the money to the chief of police. And they get into this really weird conversation about, you know, why would I short you? You know, it, it's this sort of a weird... Uh, Gonna, it's not even intellectual humor. But, you know, like one of the reviews that I quoted, it, they, they were calling it like a comedy of words or something, a comedy of language. It was like, yeah, but if the language is not great, then don't even bother. You know, and I feel like Mark Strong should be above this kind of stuff by now. You know, once he's done Guy Ritchie movies where they nailed this type of dialogue, then when he comes down to do something like this, it reflects poorly on him. <laughs> you know, it just looks like he, he doesn't have a filter. He'll just take whatever whatever role they offer him.
0: Uh that would be very accurate because Julio this is Mark Strong's uh second 2011 entry in contrarian's canon. <laughs> and the far more offensively was the other entry, a previously covered film by the name of the Green Lantern that we did on here.
1: <laughs> forgot that he was Sinestro.
0: <laughs> I know. He's a Thaal Sinestro. Uh thi- 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 oh, <Yeah>. <laughs> Jesus, you said above though he comes out above, and that is a good choice of words. Cause I, I googled how tall is Mark Strong because he like towers over everyone in this movie. He's only six two. I mean, I'm like five nine or some shit, so he would I'd have to look up to him. But he looks like uh, you know, he comes across like seven foot tall in this movie. Just a big cat.
1: I guess his uh, his cohorts are short, and so yeah, he looks even go. bigger.
0: So, as you mentioned, Mark Strong's going around just bribing people, saying, you know, look the other way. Go have an Eskimo pie when, when this time comes, when the our big shipment comes in. Shea, he believes it's not going to be so easy with Boyle. So, he ends up, one, blackmailing him. One of the prostitutes he was with took some pictures while they were engaging in their sexual acts. Their fornication, <laughs> their, their sins. And so, there's that. And he shows up as the prostitute's telling him this, they're like in a sweet shop somewhere, an ice cream parlor. And he shows up and he's just like, and on top of it, and he, sli- he does the classic slides the envelope uh, halfway <laughs> across the table. And, you know, offering him a bribe. This actually, to me, was one of the funnier scenes in this because he's just powering through this giant milkshake <laughs> while Shea he's just explaining to him the situation at hand. And then when he gets up to leave, he's like, rubbing his head and the girl's like what are you gonna do he's like i've got a terrible ice cream headache right now (laughs) sorry Uh, guys i'm not gonna do an irish accent i I tried and it's just boston so there's no point
1: uh this would be more effective if the movie if that scene wasn't padded with just some bullshit dialogue about the song that they spend a couple minutes just talking about the meaning of the song, and they just the completely
0: background? gloss over the fact that the the prostitute that he was with, and she seems like a nice girl, got the shit beat out of her.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, okay. And, and now, how does this blackmail thing exactly works? Like they, so it is it illegal for him to to be because he's not married, he doesn't have a family, so yeah. It's I'm not more like,
0: curious. Like, I'm sure it's more illegal for him to take a bribe than to be caught with a prostitute. <laughs>
1: yeah i mean what is it is it just like a naked picture of him it it, so he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that would give a shit you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like okay post a picture of me having sex what do i care you know i've done worse and everybody knows it so it, it seems like a weird thing unless like you said maybe it is illegal to to engage in sex with with prostitutes in ireland once again Irish people listening to this show, please let us know.
0: Is that like the most illegal thing you can do? Yes. Uh, Yeah, because I'm pretty sure his aiding and abetting and this shipment of fucking half a billion dollars in cocaine would be a bigger deal than him getting his dick sucked by a prostitute. (laughs) And he's an honest guy, too. He tells them, like, I don't think he's worried about that. One of the things we hear him tell the prostitutes is that he has a small penis. He's just an honest guy. (laughs)
1: Just a regular guy. That's the movie once again, trying to trying to get you on his side. You know, yeah, he's corrupt and he's racist, but he's got a small dick, so you know, cut him some slack. That
0: that more so than the mother stuff made me, you know, more <laughs> endeared to him because I was like, brother, I get it, man. It, it's it's and our life. It. It's our way of walking through this life. I get it. <laughs> so now that I'm fully endeared to Boyle. Uh, <laughs> His mother passes away, as we covered. That's uh, That comes and goes. We kind of already touched on that. That's just my note here. As the investigation continues, though, because everyone's been paid off, there's not much they can do. There's the young boy around town who helps Boyle uh, find like this massive cache of hidden weaponry. It's from the Irish Republican Army the IRA, uh, hmm. and he arranges that it be returned to an IRA member. So we get to see a guy wearing a cowboy hat in Ireland, which was news to me. That was pretty... <laughs> big pretty deal. colorful. So I, I glossed over the fact that his mom dies. His mom actually died from an overdose. She basically killed herself with her medication, which definitely makes that situation... Uh, for the tone this movie's going for, don't you think that that is a bit too dark?
1: Yeah, and unnecessary, because it doesn't really do anything. Uh, It's not like because his mother dies of an overdose, he suddenly becomes determined to stop this drug shipment. I I mean, he was already working towards doing it. You know what I mean? Like, it would be different if he had just decided that he wasn't going to do anything. And then his mom dies, and then he makes a decision to, well, now I'm going to honor her memory by stopping these guys. But he was mm-hmm. already doing it. He was already. If you. I know I say this a lot when it, when there's plot lines that are unnecessary, but that's because, you know, it's, it's the necessary point to make. <laughs> if you remove the subplot of uh, Gleason's mother, the movie doesn't change. Because that story has no relevance on, on the plot.
0: Yeah, it's just there to buy time. It's a 90-minute movie, and they were still looking for fluff, looking for filler.
1: How do we fluff this movie? Let's make kill a really depressing <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh,
0: <that's, laughs> I, Like I imagine there was one other idea of like, let's get him a love interest. No, let's kill his mom. Fuck Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he gets a situation with the guns taken care of. The main thing that comes of it is this guy explains a way that you can hide a, a certain type of gun in the crotch of your pants. You need to keep that in mind.
1: Um, <laughs> how, like- how hard did you laugh, Alex, when uh, I just remember <laughs> that scene where uh, uh, you know, Sir Davos is explaining to Gleason at the ice cream shop that everybody has been bought and he's the only one that's missing. Uh, and then Gleason says, well, how about Don Cheadle? And Sir Davos goes like, oh, the American? Okay, no. Americans can't be bought. We're not even going to try.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Little do they know.
1: I don't know. It was just so cute that they would think that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was a very uh, naive way of looking at it. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it, though. Whereas now, like, you know, if there was any movie now made uh, like this with the what we know about America now, they would just be like, they're not even worth wasting money on. <laughs>
1: America. the american cat probably can't even find the door to leave his hotel room yeah. we're not worried about it
0: oh well, amazon prime it to him <laughs> so everett don Cheadle feels he's figured out wh- where the shipment's coming in and how it's going to unfold but he has the wrong location right
1: yeah because the basically unbeknownst to him the entire police department <laughs> has been bought by, by the bad guys. So they're all his investigators are feeding him wrong information, and so they've mm. uh, sent all the resources, Cheadle included, to the furthest place from where the the actual delivery of the drugs is going to take place.
0: That's right, because uh, once Boyle figures it out, he calls him and tells him, you know, turn around type thing, because. Boyle goes back home, and he's confronted by the the loose cannon, as we Mm -hmm. talked about earlier, uh, O'Leary, Liam O'Leary, who they do kind of the pumpkin and jewels, (laughs) where they're just sitting, and uh, uh, O'Leary's just pointing a gun at him and saying, basically just telling him he shouldn't have gotten involved, and Boyle then begins scratching his crotch, saying he must have caught something from the prostitutes he was with. And this is where we see him fishing around in the crotch of his pants. And if you were paying attention to that scene earlier, you figured out, oh, he's going to pull a gun out and shoot this guy. And that's exactly what happens. It's it's funny, but it's also kind of a cool fuck yeah moment. It's one of the few times in the movie where I was like rooting for Boyle. And that should really tell you something. It's a scene where he's just (laughs) digging around in his pants. Uh, You know, it's something you literally like in Tropic Thunder when Jack Black does that same thing to find his gun. I found this to be the most endearing part of the movie.
1: <laughs> it's also kind of, it's interesting because I thought that he was faking the, the you know, that he got crabs from the prostitute, but mm-hmm. then after the scene, he's still scratching his crotch. <laughs> I think he even makes a comment about how like, uh, something about the, the prostitute screwing him over. So, so he actually had crabs, right? <laughs> Is that what happened?
0: Uh, I think so. He, he's, uh, Boyle's acting is not that good to some of the extent that he's uh, stretching this.
1: <laughs> he's stayed in character.
0: <laughs> yeah. So he killed O'Leary, and then he calls, as we mentioned, Everett and explains, no, this is actually where it's coming in. We got to go meet here. Uh, they're going to be unloading the cocaine tonight, and this is, you know, it's now or never type thing. <laughs> and Everett, Don Cheadle arrives and then figures out, like, pretty promptly, it's just them. They're just going to be a two-man army. We do get like the, you know, the prepping for battle sequence where uh, Brennan Gleeson Boyle gets his uniform out and it's nicely pressed and ready to go. And as the audience, I think, I think we're supposed to believe that you know he's walking into certain death here. Uh, it's a movie, so I always expected him to prevail. But <laughs> him and Don Cheadle manages them against this drug army.
1: Yeah. Well, I thought that the Cheadle was gonna. Was going to buy the farm here? Mm. and He gets shot at one point. He does. Uh, before
0: they open fire, we do get one last kind of comedic Guy Ritchie-esque back and forth where he asks Don Cheadle, have you been shot before? And asking him if it hurts. And he asks him how many times. He says three times. He's like, well, you should be used to it by now. <laughs> and then they approach. And that's where the um, Shahi uh, Francis is like, it's the guard. Which I can't tell you how hard I laughed at that. Just like, yeah, we got the name of the
1: movie in. (laughs) He's not even tried to take cover. Does he have a death wish? I thought that he wanted to stop Oh, no. He's He's playing like,
0: this is a person that has no idea how you're supposed to play Metal Gear Solid, trying Metal Gear Solid. Like, just (laughs) running in completely defenseless with no shield. But, yeah, he just walks forward. Uh, The solace is he's a great shot because he picks these guys off. And he's got reinforcement. Don Cheadle, like, manning a fucking assault rifle. Uh, but yeah, he is able to kill Mark Strong. He gets shot himself. He quips, you know, to no one in particular, just a flesh wound. And then uh, it's Shay attempting to get away, right? And he jumps in like this little boat and mm-hmm. Boyle follows him.
1: Yeah, then Cheadle, Cheadle accidentally, I guess, blows up something in the boat because <laughs> it just, there's this massive explosion and then suddenly there's everything is in flames and that. Uh, why is uh she uh, Shehi? Shehi? why is a bad guy why is he in bed? You know, when Gleason finally catches up to him, the the main bad guy, he's just He's, he's- laying in his
0: waterbed with a lot of It
1: was good for his back. He was a little stressed out. Uh
0: yeah, he's I, I guess I don't know. That's shit, man. When I'm in distress, that's what I do is I go crawl in bed, so I I can kind of sympathize with this guy.
1: Uh, but yeah, that that's uh, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, the, the big climax of the movie is just Brandon Gleason basically being unstoppable. He just barrels through all the bad guys. Mark Strong gets disposed of just <laughs> without much fanfare. Yeah, he really
0: does. It was kind uh, of surprising.
1: Yeah, after all the build up to his character, he uh, he even has two guns, I think, in, in this firefight, and he just mm-hmm. get shot like really quickly uh and then yeah the Brendan Gleeson gets into the boat oh he doesn't even shoot Sir Davos he uh he just leaves him to to burn I guess and then Don Cheadle watches from the from a distance as the boat explodes yeah assuming that Gleeson has also gone down with the with the bad guys did you think that he was done dude
0: it's the Dark Knight Rises ending
1: (laughs) the next scene is them unveiling the statue or of, uh, the,
0: you know, the <laughs> autopilot got fixed. You know. Who's the name on that <laughs> Boyle? Hmm. Yeah, it, it is the fucking dark Knight rises ending. Cause the, the closing <laughs> shot is Don Cheadle, like looking out on the water, you know, like, Oh, they'll never know who saved the city. Uh, but the little boys back there and the creepy is just talking about how he was a good swimmer. And that's whenever it like is really like that. Eh, that was bullshit. Uh, and they flash back to like a conversation in this movie that Boyle said like if he pulled this off he'd he'd have to leave town anyway. And then Don Cheadle remembering something he had said about he's either the dumbest man or the smartest man he ever met. So it's definitely ambiguous and like I said, you know, the hero wins and it seems like he just had to get gone.
1: We needed one final shot of uh Brendan Gleason having lunch on an outdoor restaurant with uh, <laughs> with the widow of his ex-partner. And <laughs> I guess Don Cheadle's watching them from a from a nearby table and just smiles and nods.
0: Has a very small glass of wine with him. Yeah. And then um, we go into kind of fun, quirky credits.
1: Well, before that, we get a massive written and directed by...
0: <laughs> <Just> That's <laughs> what I mean. It's like all the credits they give here are in this giant blocky red font.
1: That's how you announce your arrival. I did in, this uh... shit.
0: <laughs> yes. So, John Michael McDonough takes us out with his uh, cast of merry men and women. And it's freeze frames for all the characters except for Brennan Gleeson, who gets his live action credit like it's the opening of a 90s sitcom. <laughs> and then Brennan Gleeson says, the guard. <laughs>
1: But with an Irish accent.
0: <laughs> Correct. I can say some things with an, ir- an Irish accent. Just the guard apparently is not one of them. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we get a happy ending. Uh, not without a little bit of melancholy, but Don Cheadle realizes he learned something about himself and about you know the cops around the world. So uh, I guess everyone wins. He just had to put up with some outright racism to get
1: there. <laughs> He learned to loosen up and tolerate the racism because he was well-intentioned. Jesus. All right. So that was the guard. That was Conterance Corner. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's find out how we actually felt. Let's go to real talk. Let's do it. And James McCormick out of Limerick. Now, these men are highly dangerous. And if... Yes, Sergeant. I thought only black lads are throat dealers. I'm sorry, what? I thought only black lads were throat dealers. And Mexicans, what do they call them? They have a word for them. What? Yeah, there's a word for you too, sir. But I'm not gonna go into that right now. Anyway, as I was saying, these men are highly dangerous. And if mules. you Mules, are- drug mules. That, that's enough for your guff now, Bile. Apologize to the man. Huh? Apologize for what? Ah, uh, you know for what? For your racist slurs, for one thing. I'm Irish, sir.
0: Racism is part of my culture. That's enough, now, boy. They're showing us up, man. You're a fucking knacker. Fuck off, back to Dublin New. Rip your fucking head off, black, boy! Black, black. Sit
1: down! No, no, lads, come on. Not in front of the American. And we are back. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on our exclusive patron feed. And it's also where we let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Closing down January as this episode plays, which means that all the January goodies should be already on the feed. Uh, Quick video Mm -hmm. reviews for Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle from Alex and for Ferdinand from me. (laughs) Uh, we also have a uh, exclusive bonus episode about Jawbreaker, requested by Ryan. And then the, the the other stuff, you know, the uh, pre recording notes for all our episodes of January and further mm-hmm. back. Also the cutting room floor segment, uh, all the clips that they make it into our episodes. Part two of the Rock versus Cena saga that that we have going on, uh, in which. Hell yeah. Alex is going to walk me through what happened after The Rock challenged John Cena the year that followed, and we're going to talk about Fast Five and The Reunion. One of those movies is a lot more popular than the other. (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) And then, of course, Contreras After Hours. spin-off show where we talk about other things that we watched that we played that we've read that we'll listen to uh, alex what are you bringing to contrarians after hours this time
0: julio i haven't really had the opportunity to watch play read anything new recently uh real life is gotten in the way unfortunately but i i did watch and recommend you watch a movie called smithereens uh, on hbo yes. max which- also a Criterion release, which I looked that up afterwards and I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to wait for the sale because the Blu-ray is like 50 bucks. So that is actually an extension of a recent discussion from After Hours where we talked about Desperately Seeking Susan because that was directed by Susan Settlement and I looked up her filmography and Smithereens was like her most highly acclaimed one. 100% Rotten Tomatoes, Criterion Treatment, all that. So uh, we'll talk about watching that. I imagine, Julio, we can uh, give our conflicting thoughts on it as it is some <laughs> definitive white people shit. And yes. um, speaking of white people shit, I will also be discussing the physical media release of Halloween Kills, which came out last week. Uh, that's, I misunderstood the press release uh, about the Blu-ray initially. I thought it was going to be a, like an alternate version of the movie, an alternate cut. It's actually just an extended version of it, but it does have an alternate ending. And um, I will be discussing that and why I'm very over-the-moon happy that it remained an alternate ending and not the one that they used in the actual theatrical release so
1: does does evil actually die (laughs) no
0: nothing really changes in terms of things that you know big story devices or big you know plot twists but it just kind of is an extended version of the ending and something really fucking stupid happens (laughs) And so I look forward to explaining that to you as well as uh, just an overall review of the release of it. It's got a pretty good lineup of special features. So Uh, nothing too juicy, but definitely some talking points that we can hit
1: it does sound juicy enough, Alex, uh, on my end, I will be following through on a promise from a few months ago. When I first brought up the show Babylon five, I'd said that I'd started it. I was maybe 10 episodes in and I, I was, you know, I, I appreciated it for what it was trying to do. And I said, I will check in again when I'm halfway through the show. So it's, it's five seasons and I just finished season three and, uh, I mean, I'll tell you about it in detail, but uh, I, I will here. I will say that the show gets exponentially better and exponentially more interesting <laughs> as the seasons mm-hmm. go along. And I I finished season three really pumped for the next two seasons and with a much better with with a higher appreciation of the the entire show compared to when I gave my my impressions, you know, a few months ago. So that's mm-hmm. one thing. And then also. Uh, this long weekend gave me the opportunity to basically binge all seven episodes of the HBO show *Mayor of Easttown*, which you okay. might know as the the Kate Winslet show. She's uh, she's been doing the awards round, and uh, it's it's been pretty pretty well reviewed. I managed like I had it on the periphery I knew that she had a show on HBO and I knew that it was doing well I didn't know anything else about it though which is great because there's some really good surprises on the you know on this season I don't know if there's even gonna be a follow-up you know it's, it, it works as a standalone story but uh, she's a cop in a small town and a lot of shit happens <laughs> there's a murder investigation her her personal life is a mess and it's Kate Winslet so she could be anything I would watch it uh,
0: oh yeah this is established.
1: Yes, I know. Contrarians, listeners from a while back, you know, you know how I feel about Kate Winslet. So yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about about it on after hours. So Merovis Town, Babylon Five, up to the end of season three, uh, yeah. smithereens, and the DVD slash Blu-ray of Halloween Kills, in which evil still doesn't die. All that on after hours. And all the other stuff on our Patreon channel. So if any of it sounds interesting, uh, go check our, our Patreon at patreon.com slash prime. Look at our tiers. See if uh, you feel like contributing to the contrarian supplements.
0: $1, $3, $5, $10. We have our different tiers that we offer. So just a buck. You can go throw it our way and just see if you like it. Uh, see if there's something there you enjoy. And if there's not, if there's something you'd like to see us add. We're open to it. For our current patrons, we love y'all, and we're currently accepting applications for new ones, so check it out. We know you're going to like it, and we know you're going to stay, and you're going to have to keep going because you're going to want us to cover some movie. Every time I think we're getting kind of long in the tooth, someone will suggest a movie or demand a movie like we covered here today that I'm like, man, there's still so much (laughs) out there for us. (laughs) Because I feel like we've conquered some really big mountains in terms of like Titanic and you know, Terminator and all that shit. Uh, not just James Cameron movies, but, um, <laughs> there's still plenty out there for us to discuss. So head on over to patron.com slash contrarian prime, check out our cutting room floor material after hours, check out the first part, uh, that's up right now. And soon to be second part of our rock scene 10 years later, retrospective. And it's only going to keep growing. That's all I can say. We keep figuring out more and more things to do for it. So Julio, Patron is the reason we're here this evening discussing yes. The Guard. Uh, I forgot to ask in the first half of the podcast, how did you watch this movie?
1: Good old Amazon Prime. You know, It's funny because when we we were talking about The Guard, I think it was the last episode, you thought I was talking about The Guardian. And of course, when I started doing the search for the movie, The Guardian showed mm-hmm. up before The Guard showed up because I guess there you go. Kevin Costner and uh, Ashton Kutcher... Carry more star power than Brendan Gleeson and Don Cheadle, surprisingly. It's
0: the way of the gun.
1: But yeah, no, I was pretty happy with the with the transfer, the quality. Uh, how about you?
0: So, it Showtime currently has the the broadcast rights for. The Guard, um, and so it was on demand through our cable system. That's how I watched it. It, it was okay, quality-wise. Like I said, there were no subtitles or anything like that. But every time I can take advantage of the free on-demand system that they have, I, I take full advantage of it. So,
1: mm-hmm. I mean, y- you missed uh, a Roman Polanski joke, but that's okay.
0: Yes, yeah. I- I'll, I'll make it, I think. <laughs> I-, I think you and I have made plenty of them off-recording air to get us through a <laughs> lifetime, so... <laughs> All right, hello. Ninety-four percent on Rotten Tomatoes certainly seems like this movie has its uh, fan base. For the purposes of Rotten Tomatoes, the thing that was important was that the critics liked it. Now, ninety-four percent though leaves a door open, meaning you guessed it, six percent of those critics didn't really care for it. <laughs> so, those that were not enamored and smitten by Brennan Gleason, what uh, what were their complaints?
1: Alex, I'm going to start with a quote from a critic that has an amazing name. Uh, this is David N. Butterworth. Nice. <laughs> Love it. Uh, from Boof. he says, To paraphrase Nigel Terry in The Lion in Winter.
0: I, th- I'm over this guy already. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, to paraphrase Nigel Terry in The Lion in Winter, the guard is a stinker. <laughs> And it stinks. <laughs> Butterworth. We started so, so strongly. And then it went downhill very quick. Next, Chris Hewitt from St. Paul Pioneer Press says, Brendan Gleason is always worth seeing, but there are much better places to see him. <laughs> like the Harry Potter movies.
0: It, the Village? So, d- yeah, to kind of interject here again, you were explaining this. So he has, like, a sizable role in the Harry Potter movie. Z-
1: Yes, yeah, he's like, I mean, he's not like Alan Rickman, but he is, yeah, he's a recurring character once he gets introduced in the fourth movie. So he has four, five, six, seven, and eight that he's in. So children, you know, there's a whole generation. You know, like, whenever you see Alan Rickman, well, I mean, you and I, we were like, oh, Alan Rickman. But for a while, we would be like, oh, that's Hans from Die Hard. And I think that there's a whole generation that would, that saw alan rickman they're like oh that's professor snape from harry potter that same generation they see brendan gleason and they're like oh that's mad eye moody and it's Got gonna it. take a while for them to get over that which is fine i mean i'm sure that the, those royalties are pretty sweet Yeah,
0: i'm sure I'm, I'm sure he's not mad about it
1: all right and let's close with peter rayner from christian science monitor who says this black comedy needed to be a whole lot blacker and funnier Do you think Peter Rayner is saying that Don Cheadle is not black enough?
0: Uh, I don't, and I would hope that wasn't his intention.
1: (laughs) Get me someone blacker than Don Cheadle. (laughs) That guy is more racist than anything else that happens in the movie.
0: Uh, Both you and I are known fans of European style of writing, especially when it comes to action movies both Guy Ritchie fans and obviously that's he's not the only one, but that would be the most successful one uh, to discuss as we also made several comparisons in the first portion. So I'm curious uh where this ended up sitting for you. I guess my first question should be have you seen anything else from this director or writer, from uh John Michael McDonough?
1: I have actually I I watched uh, Calvary in theaters when it came out. I Oh nice. Yeah, I knew it was it was getting good reviews. I probably heard about it on Film Spotting or one of those film review podcasts and uh it was playing at uh, it's probably at the Arbor because it wasn't like a big release. But uh, I went and saw it, and it's it's very different from this one. I mean, it's a lot more serious. Uh, Brendan Gleeson plays, if I remember correctly, he plays a priest. The movie starts with him getting a confession from someone, but he can't see the face of the person that's confessing. But that person is either confessing to a murder or confessing that they're about to commit a murder. And then the murder happens, and Brendan Gleeson spends the entire movie kind of trying to figure out who was... The person that confessed to him uh, in the morning. And, you know, there's, he goes and checks all the suspects. And I remember it was really, really good. Not a comedy. It was just like a straight up drama. And, uh, so I, I remember, you know, I remember liking it. And I think I mentioned it uh, a couple episodes ago. There is a, uh, this guy, uh, has a brother. So there's, there's another McDonough making movies. And his movies are more hit or miss for me. He's the guy that did, uh, uh, seven Psychopaths which I uh. didn't like and he also did uh, Three Billboards Outside of Evan, Missouri which I liked and, Eddie Strait's uh, favorite movie? Yes <laughs> so that he is the one that's kind of a you know I remember watching Calvary and thinking oh I need to watch more from this guy and I think at the time I knew that there was another movie that the guard was out there somewhere for me to watch but then his brother made movies that caught my eye and I kind of forgot about this other mcdonough i guess until just now <laughs> so watching you know the guard i was like i couldn't even remember after i was done with the movie i looked up his filmography and i was like oh yeah calvary that's i've seen that one but i i went into this one with very no expectations and not because i expected it to be bad but just as in like i don't know what the tone's gonna be what's uh you know what kind of movie we're walking into i was not i was certainly not expecting uh you know this, this sort of Guy Ritchie type of movie, and I don't want to. Now that we're in real talk, like I'm not saying Guy Ritchie as in like, oh, this guy is just ripping off Guy Ritchie because that's not yeah. what's happening. But kind of uh, all these characters have very clever conversations that are a couple levels above the standard dialogue that you get in in some of these movies, and so. Mm-hmm. That's what happens in Guy Ritchie movies. Like, (laughs) these are some of the best examples. Yeah, and it happens here. Like, I I really like the... I mean, there's so many of them. But from the beginning, they're at the the first crime scene, and they start talking about movies. Like, the rookie is talking about... (laughs) There's a... Because they have the... On the wall, there's a five and a half spray-painted... And uh, and so the rookie starts going, well, there's a movie called Eight and a Half. It's Fellini. (laughs) There's a movie called Seven. We called Seven, yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, they engage in that conversation. It's like a little bit of pop culture, a little bit of a kind of, I guess, self-awareness of the tropes of the the genre. When we first meet uh, the bad guys, for some reason, they're discussing, they're quoting philosophers, ancient philosophers. (laughs) Which is not mm-hmm. what you would expect in this type of movie, but but at the same time you would expect that for um, this type of movie if it was directed by Guy Ritchie. So I was not expecting it, and I was really happy once I figured out that that's what we're in for. I mean, you know, I I'm not I don't have a whole lot of experience with Brendan Gleeson. You know, it's like the Harry Potter movies, Calvary, the the village. I'm sure I've seen it in a couple of other things, but. I don't know, this is probably now the most memorable performance of his that I've seen because he's just so uh I guess so funny. He's just so so good for this material. And you know, the contrast with Don Cheadle is just perfect.
0: He is really funny in this. Just everything's so dry and droll. It's uh without coming across as like too much or, you know, too on the nose type thing. Uh and then yeah, Don Cheadle, I mean a very versatile actor. We joke about this a lot. I do honestly feel like he's kind of underutilized.
1: Yeah, he's very. Uh, I mean, I think that Don Cheadle is is an A lister, but he, absolutely,
0: he's he's utilized. What I mean by underutilized is it feels like you watch stuff like this, and there's more that can be got from him. He can make movies like this, and it can be like really pulled off well. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not just you know the crushingly depressing shit that he has to do. <laughs> That it seems to (laughs) – I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is I'd like to see him in more uh, action-driven movies, comedies, that type of thing. Uh, He's definitely – his filmography covers the whole spectrum, but I feel – I don't know. I, I, if I said something like I don't feel like he gets a, enough credit for being as versatile as he is, I feel like that would be like asinine because he's won so many awards. But it, you kind of know what I'm trying to say. Like he's a great actor, but I feel like he doesn't get enough credit for just what I said—how versatile he is.
1: Yeah, I, I think that he's a. Uh, no, I mean, this is going to sound negative, but it's not meant to be. He's an A-lister, but he's not a movie star. You know, that's. Mm-hmm. I think that that's how I would put it because he's not. Uh, up there with those with those guys that can open a movie which are you know there's less and less of them i think <laughs> you know yep men and women uh, traitor
0: was the movie i was thinking about
1: oh, i don't know what that is
0: it's him and guy pierce it's from 2008 it's like a spy thriller it's not fun
1: <laughs> just bleak
0: i never saw rain over me with him and adam sandler
1: that also looks pretty brutal so mm-hmm. uh, Adam Sandler traumatized by nine eleven, right?
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Pass. Uh, I didn't
0: realize he was in the the Denzel movie Flight.
1: Is he the cop in Swordfish? I think yes. I remember him chasing yeah. Hugh Jackman down a hill.
0: Agent J T. Roberts.
1: Yep. There you go. Don Cheadle can do it all, but you know, you I don't think that anybody expects Don Cheadle to to open a movie. You know, like to have a, a strong weekend. He's not uh, like. Brad Pitt or Julia Roberts or Sandra Bullock, you know, those, that caliber. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it feels like maybe he should be (laughs) because he's just so, like you said, so versatile. But I think that somehow he's found himself more in the, the side of a prestige cinema and not so much blockbusters, even though he is, you know, he's a pretty big part part of of the MCU. MCU. Yep. Yeah. You know, I think he's proved that you can have it both ways.
0: (laughs) I forgot he was in Boogie Nights, too. So, yeah, I enjoy the dynamic between Gleason and Don Cheadle in this. Now, I think, overall, you probably enjoyed the movie a bit more than I did, just based on you know, our talking back and forth. I did find things I enjoyed about it, but overall there were parts of this that kind of really dragged for me. The mom? Yeah, the the side story going with his mom, I'm not opposed to something like that, but it felt kind of... It felt forced, yet at the same time, like... Um, truncated. You know, it's like, we have to have this in here, but we can't expand upon it too much. And I felt like there could have been more interesting aspects to that, but it felt like we're kind of just dropped in and it's like, well, his mom's about to die and that's all we really know. And so we're just going to see these brief interactions between them until she does die. And yeah, it works in the sense of uh, making viewers empathetic towards the Boyle character. But uh, to me, every time it came across, it just felt... It felt like I was watching like a storytelling mechanation instead of just letting a movie happen to me, that type of thing. So the the, the, the the acting's still good. It's not like those scenes were a slog, but it just felt unnecessary is not the right word. It just didn't work for me. And even though the runtime's an hour and a half when the movie ended, I was like, okay, yeah, that, that needed to wrap it up pretty quick, which is weird because it's a movie that's so quick mm-hmm. and uh, light on its feet. But once you get past the good dialogue... And some of the admittedly really funny stuff is, like, you know, his infatuation with hookers and stuff like that. It It's a very, very paint-by-numbers cop movie. And there's really no new added twist to it. Uh, the story itself, like I said, the surroundings of it, the dialogue's good. But at its core, it's a very predictable, very elementary police thriller It felt kind of like a tribute to the the lethal weapons and like the cop, you know, the action cop movies of the 80s, but but then still tried to be its own thing, but didn't really do enough of modernizing the story. And yeah, it just it overall didn't work for me.
1: Do you think that this movie works better for an Irish audience that can't just truly see themselves in? you know, in the guard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Writings, I wonder, you know, because um, I hadn't really thought about it until now. The movie worked, it definitely worked better for me than it did for you. Uh, I think that I I really connected with the the humor. I, I or really appreciated the humor in a way that, to me, that's why I watched the movie. I watched, you know, when it was all over, I'm like, okay, it was, yes, it didn't reinvent the wheel, but it was extremely entertaining because of the, of the dialogue and, uh, you know, I had a a couple of like really the fuck yeah moments, you know, him pulling the gun out of his crotch. (laughs) That was, that was good. And, uh, it was really good. Yeah. I I liked how irreverent it was uh, about it all. And, uh, and I think now that we're in real talk, well, it was clear to me that I was being manipulated by the, the scenes with the mom. (laughs) I didn't Mm -hmm. mind it because it was a nice break from the, just the, the smart-ass tone of the rest of the movie. And I think that that's, that's something that sometimes... Because I was thinking, you know, this this type of movie can also get on my nerves. It can get on my nerves hard uh, when when there's just characters that are just mouthpieces for clever dialogue and, and not much more than that. You know, it's mm. like sometimes I watch movies and I'm like, okay, this was just clearly some guy who really likes... Tarantino, Kevin Smith, uh, you know, all these screenwriters that are known for just having characters (laughs) digress into conversations about pop culture. And uh, so now this guy... You know, sometimes you see filmmakers that want to do the same thing. They don't have the story. They don't have the characters, but they have the dialogue. And they just have characters come in and talk and have conversations. And it just feels, you know, fake. And and this could be that if it didn't have those brief moments where it slows down and actually has characters connecting. So the, I think that the mom's plot is like a big thing that did it for me. And then also the connection he had with uh, his partner's widow. Mm -hmm. You know, when it just kind of slows down and there's no quips, there's no smart ass references. It's just him being, you know, a human being and trying to be supportive. But now I'm like, all that hadn't even crossed my mind that this movie, maybe it wasn't even made for an American audience specifically, (laughs) you know, which is, you know, it was made for... An Irish audience and then we just benefit you know we because we get it as well but you know this is an Irish filmmaker I'm assuming so this is the equivalent of uh, you know in my mind like a Peruvian filmmaker making a really awesome Peruvian cop movie mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like really witty yeah somebody from America goes like oh yeah I've seen this before it, this is good but I've seen it before and then somebody in Peru is like oh my god <laughs> they did it they I know we it. had a yeah yeah. I think we had a similar conversation about a movie somewhat recently, where I was trying to to put myself in that position where I'm like, okay, well, if this was, you know, a movie made in a different country, you'd probably give it a little, cut a little more slack. Anyway, I, I this is the third time or fourth time in this episode that I'm going to ask if we have any Irish listeners tell me how do you feel about the about the guard and did it feel like they resonate more strongly with you because it's set in your country and it's about somebody that's your nationality you know and do you see the, <laughs> the Don Cheadle character as this uptight joyless uh, <laughs> American
0: I did appreciate that his character wasn't obsessed with guns because that seems to be the modern and not that we don't deserve that awful reputation but that seems mm-hmm. to be everyone's go-to yeah and i would imagine too the natives would appreciate that this kind of stuck to it as opposed to you know the guy ritchie's that we mentioned who definitely turned things up to 11 uh, and really lean into a lot of not stereotyping but celebrating the more loud and excessive aspects of culture whereas in here it was just kind of at no point in this that I think I was watching, like, an exaggeration necessarily of uh, how some people in an Irish pub might talk to each other. Yeah, and yeah. I, I don't know. Also, full disclosure, I just... It, it's been a rough week. I've been tired, too. So I already did make, like, a mental note that I'm going to give this movie another shot at some point in time. Because I did not dislike it. I just found myself kind of... Um, it moved a bit too slow for me. But Brennan Gleeson is fantastic in the lead. And uh, we already obviously talked about Don Cheadle. Mark Strong, he could be the hired gun for the bad guys in every action movie until he's fucking 70 <laughs> and I'd be fine with it.
1: Yeah. Hopefully he would be fine with that too. <laughs> he is in a, you know... <laughs> I got to feel bad because I've forgotten that he was in Green Lantern. He's in another DC movie. This one did much better, but uh, he was the bad guy in uh, Shazam a couple years ago. He's Mark Strong. He, How he was that? He does what he has to do. I, I felt it was too long. It's all right. I mean, I it was one of the things where uh, it's happened with a couple of those DC movies where I watch it. I'm like, that was, I had a good time. But then the next day I'm like, I would never watch that again. <laughs> it was one and done.
0: The moment's come and gone.
1: Yeah, but I can still look back and appreciate Mark Strong is good. You know, I, I don't think I've seen him be bad in anything. Uh, and he's doing the Mark Strong thing where he's just intimidating. You know, he looks sinister. Um, there's a movie where he's not a bad guy in a. Well, he's not a bad guy in Kingsman, uh, but it's also he's not a bad guy in uh, Rock and Roller. Have you seen that one? That's a guy Ritchie movie also. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah, he's yeah. he's the, the mentor there. He's not a bad guy. I remember liking him there. So he he's got a future, this this Mark Strong guy.
0: He just might make it yet. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I did not catch this. Boyle says in the movie the FBI lad probably hadn't had this much fun since they burned up all those kids in Waco. Yes. Jesus.
1: <laughs> so He's clearly trying to push a button, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's not like he he wrote that joke thinking, ah, it's just funny, you know. He wrote that joke, you know, knowing that 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 would just stir things up. Like I don't care, but it, <laughs> but it's I can see some people taking offense.
0: That the Polanski one are good lines too, because especially that wake up one. It's not the lowest hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. And, and it's one of those things of like, there's no, you can't come back from that. Of like, yeah, that shit happened and it was fucking awful. It's not like, it's not like a matter of opinion. I think what we did in the the Waco siege was bad.
1: Fuck you. (laughs) Yeah. And actually I think that it's, uh, you know, there is a a very, no, I'm not going to call it subtle, but just kind of like a low key, constant criticism, I guess, of, of America. But it's also counterbalanced with the uh, acknowledging, I guess, some good things about America. Like, you know, again, Don Cheeto is the only American in this movie. And so he uh, he shows up and he's very uptight. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't seem to have a sense of humor about any of this. But he also, I mean, there is a line, and we mentioned it in Conterance Corner, where they, the bad guys go like, no, he can't be bought. We're not even going to try that. Which is... Yes, it's it's ridiculous on the face of just everything else but at the same time it it feels like, you know, if this is an Irish filmmaker <laughs> doing that it, it I think it kind of leans into the I guess stereotype of Americans being, you know, the the super cops, the world cops or whatever. It's it's just
0: yeah, the world police.
1: Yeah, the world police, and it's like, oh, no, you know, we can we can bribe our own cops, but no, we're not going to bribe an American cop. But then at the same time, you know, he's calling out shit like the, the Waco incident. And, you know, there's just like this constant, the, the way that uh, Gleason's character is constantly like poking at Don Cheadle, you know, just kind of like fucking with him. I, I'm sure that some people could read it as an Irish filmmaker just poking at American culture, uh, the good mm-hmm. and the bad of it and so that's that's pretty cool uh, you know and it's not a big statement it's mean, just like a 90 minute comedy that actually finds some time to just take those jabs and then keep going with his story
0: have you ever seen In Bruges
1: yes is that Gleason yeah he's the the older mm-hmm. criminal right he's there with uh Colin Farrell
0: yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I've never seen it
1: it's a, that's a good movie
0: uh, In Bruges was actually by Martin McDonough the brother of oh, John Michael there you
1: go. I think one of them is a playwright maybe they're both playwrights but uh Martin I mean of course he's made more movies I guess so that's why I'm more split yeah I like him bruges seven psychopaths it's seven seven psychopaths it's like what I was saying it just feels like he just wanted people to talk you know have cool dialogue and the the story's not really there I remember really disliking that movie
0: yeah I remember when that came out I was kind of excited about it you were one of the first people I talked to and you were like sucked I was like, "Oh, (laughs) all right." Uh, Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Action sequence that closed that I actually got really into. Don Cheadle with his assault rifle and just because it was pretty simple and it was um, to me it was well shot and the the audio that was really good there because there wasn't any like uh, there might have been some like subtle score but the real. I always love big shootouts like that in movies where the the emphasis is on like the gunshots and the violence as opposed Mm -hmm. to, you know, big crescendoing music or something. Um, So I really enjoyed the the closing of it. And the Dark Knight Rises ending.
1: (laughs) I thought it was pretty clear that he survived.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love uh, the the happy ending on its side of, well, maybe not. But yeah, to me, the tone of the movie is it's pretty clear and uh, the idea of him being like a swimmer and Don Cheadle not sure if he can believe that or not it's it adds an element of fun to a pretty morose be the word I'm looking to describe the the ending there because yeah it is it's a bunch of fucking death and and (laughs) our main character may have died so yeah I
1: mean if can you imagine if if the movie ends with him dying then it's just too much of a downer that's not what we want
0: oh yeah it would completely betray the tone it's set to
1: Mm-hmm. I do think that it's not like he has much of an arc, which might be one of the reasons why it doesn't. It it feels a little more slight than it really is, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, now that we're in real talk, I mean, yeah, he has. He's not like a perfect cop, but it's like you no. said. I mean, he still cares about his job enough that you know he. He tries to do it well. It seems like he tries to do it well. So it's not like this was a guy that had completely checked out and then through the events of the movie, he he becomes someone who decides to take a stand against these criminals. This is just... I, I think he's still the same person at the end of the movie that he was at the beginning of the movie. And that's fine. I mean, obviously, the movie works and it's entertaining and everything. But I guess, if anything, the person that maybe changes here is Don Cheadle because... Yeah, he does seem to appreciate Gleason.
0: There's more ways to do it than just buy the books is his takeaway from it. Ah,
1: there you go. That's a, that's a good summation. <laughs> Sometimes you got to just be crazy. You you can't wait for backup. You just have to go in. <laughs> you don't <laughs> like got to the...
0: break the rules, but you can bend them a little bit. You know, it works yeah. out.
1: Just got to be confident.
0: <laughs> yeah, you got to make sure. Or, you know, just... um submit to the fact that you're you're probably going to die as long as you know <laughs> even Since then you know, yeah you're still confident in the outcome of what's going to happen so works out either way so julio with all that being said what are you given this where does it fall on your scale
1: um i'm landing on four stars i think that it's uh it's a solid fun movie really funny the dialogue is really what you know Takes it over the top. I mean, it, obviously, it's a combination, right? the The dialogue would do nothing if you didn't have the actors to to pull it off, and the actors wouldn't be able to do anything if you didn't have that dialogue for them to build off of. So, but that's really the conversations is really what I'm going to remember the most about uh, the guard and just how funny they are. And then a close second, the the really awesome moment where uh, Brendan Gleason pulls a tiny gun from his from scratch and shoots yeah. the guy <laughs> just amazing
0: yeah that was tremendous
1: yeah four starts for me uh how about you
0: i, I found myself on a c plus uh, and again the caveat being that i'm more than open to watching this again could just be you know it, it hasn't really happened as often here on the podcast but i know it we've talked about this in real life. You know, sometimes if your mood is a bit askew when you watch something, especially when you're taking notes and trying to be bitchy, it can, (laughs) it can affect your judgment. So I might have to fire this one up when I'm cleaning, uh, or just have it on as a background noise at some point just to take it in again. But, uh, definitely a movie I would recommend people seeing it's still, you know, my thoughts of it dragging doesn't change the fact that it's 90 minutes long. So, uh, tried and true in the maddest rule sense and um, some good laughs, some good action, some g- great acting. So C is not a bad thing. And a C plus is not a bad thing in this case. So there you go. KT and OT, let us know how you're feeling about how we're feeling. If we call out anything that you disagree with, be sure to fire it our way. Whatever the case, as I say, every time we do this every month, when our patrons bring something new and you know uncharted territory into our you know film zeitgeist it's much appreciated just getting to watch something new so thank you for that julio that satisfies this month's patron demand on our main feed so yes, it does. what comes next as far uh, as what can contrarians fans expect on the main feed
1: up next is the, the final stop in the muppet It's It's all been building up to this. The last, as in the most recent, theatrical outing for the Muppets. Muppets Most Wanted. Tremendous. Uh, most infamously known as uh, a movie that was not received as well as the Muppets from 2011.
0: <laughs> to be fair, none of their movies have been. <laughs> but you got <laughs> Tina Fey. Got Ty Burrell, Ray Liotta. Got Ray Liotta. Get a Lady Gaga cameo in this one. It's underrated, and yes. I, I'm looking forward to making my case for why that is.
1: All right. Well, that's that's next. And also, if you want to hear me talk about a somewhat obscure uh, Chuck Norris movie from the '80s, which I know what you're thinking. Uh, that does not sound like the kind of thing I would watch. You're right. I wouldn't. Except our friends from Pinto Comics hit me up and they asked me if I wanted to be on the show. And that was the movie that they were going to discuss. So I had to watch it regardless of how I felt about the movie, uh, by the time I was done with it. And you'll find out if you listen to the episode, it was a good conversation. So that was really, <laughs> that's really what I want to focus on. That's the positive. Uh, so just check out, uh, Pine of comics. The movie is called the Octagon and, uh, it was me, <laughs> John and Joe talking about it and, uh, having a good time. I, never watched uh chuck norris movie beginning to end and uh i probably never will again <laughs> <laughs> that's that's it as far as uh what the future holds the immediate future get us out of here alex
0: all right, let's take it into perennial plugs. We start off by giving a thanks to the Festive Years, who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with the Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs.
1: Our friend and fellow podcaster, Hans Rothieser, he's the man behind our logo, behind all the graphics on our webpage, on our Patreon page, on our merch page. Uh, he is a great artist, he's also a great podcaster, he has two podcasts Nacion Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy and he's also a novelist uh, you can check all his work out at his website mildemonios.pe that's M I L D E M O N I O dot P-E, or you can reach out to him on Twitter at Mildemonios or email him, mildemonios at hotmail.com Thank you for all your support.
0: And lastly, we give thanks to Miss Zoe Perez, who helps curate our social media game. If you haven't already, and you're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime, there you'll see some exclusive videos and content as it regards to upcoming episodes. Zoe helps put together those videos that are posted. On Instagram, at Contrarian Prime, be sure to give us a follow there. You'll see audio clips, interactive graphics, sometimes some video clips as well. Uh, Zoe helps just make all that shit look really pretty far more so than julio and i could do so zoe we greatly appreciate the work that you do for us and with those pleasantries out of the way that is going to conclude this episode of the contrarians where we're right and you're wrong and we will catch you next time
1: This is where we let our patrons know what... Fuck. (laughs) Sorry.